I am both happy and sad this morning because this is going to be the last message that we have of our series in the book of Romans. We have been doing Romans for the last two years since it was day one for uh, me here. I think day one we started on Romans and now we are coming to the very last paragraph of Romans. Uh, I don't know, maybe next Sunday uh, I may do just a final uh, outline overview of everything which we've seen in Romans. But Romans is one of the most beautiful letters that we see in the Word of God. It's, the, it's one of the books, one of the New Testament letters Paul had written to the church there at Rome. Uh, and I said in Sunday school, some of the things I will repeat uh, and now is in Sunday school, I believe it was Brother Ironside that said that it would be good for you to memorize every word of Romans. It's just a, a book that just continues. It's just a well uh, that is so deep and it's rich. And the theme that we saw early in Romans is talking about God's righteousness. And as Paul is ending this letter in verses 25 through 27 of Romans chapter 16, let's go ahead and read these three verses and then we'll talk about them a little more. Romans chapter 16, verse 25, now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept since the world began but now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God made known to all nations for the obedience of faith to God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, Lord. We, Father, are depending upon you to work in the hearts and the minds using your word this morning. May it be a blessing to us. May it help your children grow. And may it be used to call your sheep to salvation. And we'll give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul's prayer and desire at the very end here is that God would receive the glory for the gospel which has been revealed all this letter. Paul has been laboring to tell us about the gospel. One of the things that we understand about the gospel is the gospel of Jesus Christ is not about man. It's about the work of God to save his people, and God should be the only one who is praised for the gospel of God. Now think about examples of people. Now think about John Williams. John Williams is one of the greatest composers that ever lived. And his body of work, people praise John Williams because of his body of work. Now he receives the praise because he created this work. Now me listening to it, the people who listen to these great symphony numbers, now we don't get the praise for it, but the composer, John Williams, does. Think about Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan is one of the greatest basketball players who ever lived, and he gets praised 
for his body of work. I don't, I shouldn't get praised just watching Michael Jordan. So it's Michael Jordan's work that gets the praise. The same thing is with the gospel of God. The gospel of God is God's work, and God alone should be praised for his work. It's not the, as we receive God's gospel, it's not us who are praised by receiving it, it's God who is praised. And here at the end, that is Paul's intention, is to bring that to life. This All of this beautiful epistle, which we've read through the last two years, all the rich doctrine that we've seen, it is all to God alone should be praised. The first thing we see in verse 25 is God alone should be praised for his gospel because it's by the power of God. Now, this is encouragement. This is going to be a treat to you this morning. Verse 25, when this jumped out at me, uh, it just filled my heart. Verse 25, now to him. Now, you, you understand, verse 25 through 27 is one paragraph. It's one statement. And he doesn't end it until verse 27. It's almost like a run-on sentence a little bit. Verse 25, now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel. That word power is dunamis in the Greek. It's where we get the word dynamite. It means to have the power of, by virtue of one's own ability to accomplish something. Now this word established. Okay, so now we see that he's talking about God. Now to him that is of power to establish. That word establish means strengthen. God is able and has the power to strengthen you. The strength which God gives us here is the strength to endure in faith. That's what he's talking about. God gives his children the power to persevere in faith. Isn't that something? It's God's power that keeps us in the faith. It is we continue and we persevere. We are assured that God will give us the strength to stand and he will complete the good work which he has started. In Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, it teaches this. It's by God's power that his children persevere. He says in Philippians 1 6, being confident of this very thing that he which hath began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. We feel and experience our Christian walk as our perseverance, but it's actually God's preserving power. It's by his power, and that's what he says. It's to him that has the power to strengthen you. According to what? According to my gospel. Now, Paul did not just make a careless statements, did he? He had proof behind what he was saying. You're going to see according to a lot in these next three verses. What's Paul's proof? Well, it's the gospel. What is the proof that God is going to keep me safe and keep me from falling? And I'm going to heaven. I'm going to persevere. I'm saved. The profession of my faith is in Jesus Christ. And I'm justified today. And, and today, tomorrow I may forget my name and forget your name. I may have an awful accident. I may, and you hear about 
dear saints of the Lord towards the end of their life who may be having some kind of mind degenerative disease just spewing off pure hatred and just things that they never were. But you know they're justified because it's by the power of God who has preserved us. And so how can I make that claim? How can I rest in that promise? It's because it is according to the gospel. And whose power is of the gospel? Who's the author of the gospel? Who's the finisher of the gospel? Who's the one who completes the gospel? It's God. Only God should be praised for the gospel. God intended to save you. He's going to save you. And he's going to keep you. By And so what we experience as perseverance, what we experience as continual conviction, and we have sorrow of heart over sin, that's the Holy Spirit working in you. The, the, gospel, the Word of God tells us that we work out what God is working in. Uh, by, uh, by our nature, we would abandon God. But by God's power, we persevere. So, according to, and this is Paul's statement, it's not a hope, it's not a guess, but it's an absolute truth. It is the promise of God and the gospel to keep us from falling. And he says, my gospel, now, when he's referencing my gospel in verse 25, Paul refers to his calling of the apostleship, the ministry which God had called him to be an apostle to the Gentiles, to preach Jesus Christ amongst the Gentiles, Paul will often refer this to his gospel. But the gospel, the good news of God, is God's good work. Now, number two, God's power and perseverance are to only those who are in Christ. Now, he says, now to him that is of the power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept since the world began. Here's, here's the saying, and the preaching of Jesus Christ. That, is, that does not mean that God is giving us the power to persevere in us preaching Jesus Christ, nor is he talking about God or Jesus himself preaching and the preaching as if Jesus Christ was doing the preaching. No, this is all encompassing of the work. The content of the preaching of Jesus Christ is the gospel. And that's why God is able to keep us secure in the content of the gospel. That's what we need to step back and look at. He is having us turn our eyes upon the accomplishment of God's good work of salvation in Jesus Christ. The gospel is in him, in him alone. The focus should be on Jesus, all of the power, all of the benefits, all of the things which God has accomplished, he's accomplished in Jesus Christ. He is shifting our eyes, narrowing our eyes to see this single point of truth here. It is so fitting that this is at the end of the letter because this, these last three verses are a summary of the entire book of Romans. Now, I want us to look at this and it'll be a blessing to you. First of all, who's the subject? In verse 25, he says, Now to him that is of power to establish you. Who's Paul talking to? 
He's talking to his audience. He's talking to those who have had a profession of faith, those who have been saved, those who have come in repentance and faith to him, that God has the power, the dunamis, the ability within himself to strengthen us in our faith, to keep us in perseverance according, here's his proof, it's according to the gospel which was given and the preaching of Jesus Christ, that gospel it has the content of the preaching of Jesus Christ. And we see that in Romans chapter 1, he starts this letter off. Come with me, if you would, please, to Romans chapter 1. We're going to start looking at the content of the gospel of God. Now, all of that's an introduction. Now, if you weren't paying attention, please start paying attention now. Because <laughs> this is where we're going to this is where we're going to start going. The power of God persevering his saints are to only those who are in Jesus Christ. The only ones who are going to heaven are the ones who have the persevering, the persevering power of God. That's it. And where does that belong? That belongs in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at Romans chapter 1. Verse 1, this has been Paul's argument throughout this whole letter. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Who has ownership of the gospel? God. Whose gospel is it? It's God's. God's good work. Which he had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord. What is concerning his son? The gospel which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Isn't that a beautiful introduction to the subject Paul is talking about is God and through all history, all through time, all through the scriptures, all through the Old Testament, all through Everything, it has all been coming to the point where Jesus is revealed, where Jesus is doing his finished work, and that God had become flesh, and that he had put on the form of, of us to do his final work. Now, God's gospel focuses on the Son. Paul reminds them here. Why do we need the gospel? Paul explains that. Look with me in chapter 1. Now look at verse 16. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. That word means to suppress. Who is God's wrath revealed against and will be revealed against? Those who suppress the truth of God. Verse 19, are they without excuse? No. Because that which may be known of God is manifest, it's revealed in them. For God hath showed it unto them himself. He has showed each and every one of you his existence. 
For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. All you have to do is walk outside and it's obvious there's a God. Verse 21. Now here's the problem. Here's the need. Because of that, when they knew God, who? The people who are suppressing him. They glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Now think about this. The wrath of God is revealed against those who suppress the knowledge and the truth of God. The darker the window, the less light comes in. The more people turn away from God, the darker your heart is becoming. The more you reject him, the more you reject him, the less light is going to come in. Verse 22 says they profess themselves to be wise. Now, because you've rejected God so many times, your heart is becoming darkened and your less light is coming in. What do you do? They chalk this up to being wise. It's smart. It's sophisticated. It's intelligent to deny God. At the apex of their wisdom, what did they do? Instead of ignoring God, they reinvent him. They make him to be something that he's not. They redefine who God is. Verse 24, well, verse 23 says they change the glory of God. And their epic wisdom, they say, you know what? Instead of just denying he's there, let's just change who he is. Let's just make it to where we get along. In verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. And here's one of the saddest verses in all the Bible. For this cause God gave them up and to vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lusts one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to reprobate mind, to do those things which are not convenient. How sad is that? That you become so desensitized to the things of God that you stop feeling guilt. You stop feeling shame. You stop feeling the things that are of God. That, that window is becoming darker and darker and darker. But Here's what the gospel is. The gospel is not how you turn your life around and start to love God. I want you to understand that. All of us, by nature, are in this state. All of us turn and reject 
God. All of us. You're not special. You are just like everybody else. All of us turn. All of us have a dark heart towards the light of God. But what's the gospel? Now, here's where the praise of God comes in. Here's where, hallelujah, he's the author of the gospel. The gospel is not me turning a new leaf. The gospel is not me just being sick of myself and feeling guilty all the time and being judgmental and depressed my whole life that I can't change who I am. And you cannot. You cannot change the fact that you sin against God. The gospel is God's good news that he has come. He has come and provided salvation because I could not go to him. I could not make myself right in the eyes of God. So God has come with the gospel so that I can be made right in his own eyes. He's provided it. It's today. It's right now. It's the only way. And that good news is only through Jesus Christ. That is Paul saying all glory to God. All glory to God. Salvation is not about my ability to believe. It's about God's ability to come and save me <laughs> and keep me despite who I was. So look at, I mean, it's grim. The thing that we need to know is, first of all, look at chapter 2, verse 5. First of all, the gospel is not how you turn yourself around and love God and go to heaven. That's not the gospel. You cannot do that. We don't have the ability to do that. It is first becoming aware that that person in chapter 1 is you. You've got to become aware that you have rejected God, that you have turned your back on God. And if you keep going down the path that you're going, you will perish. It's not sophistication to reject God. It's not intelligence to, it's not a higher form of cognitive level to reject God. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And the sad part about it is God will continue to think that way. He will give you over to reprobate mind. He'll let you just go ruin your own life. But aren't you? And that's what we all would do by nature. We're all going to do that. But look at the perishing that's in the Bible. The promise is here. Chapter 2, verse 5. He says, but after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to every man according to his deeds. Verse 8, But unto them that are contentious, and do not obey the truth, but, o o but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. If you keep going down that road of thinking that what I'm doing is wise and faith is not, faith is not sophistication, faith is you know, so many times people say the Bible's old-fashioned. And you know what? In society, I'm going to say this. In society, there are antiquated views. There absolutely are antiquated views, and they should be stopped. There's no such thing as racism in the Bible. We are all of one blood. We're all of one nation. We're all of, of Adam. There's no, and racism comes from, Evolution comes from Darwinism. 
That's where racism comes from. Because if you believe that we're evolved, then you look at other races of the world and say they're not as evolved. That's racism. Racism is not the same thing as prejudicism. Okay, so there are antiquated views that society needs to come to grips with, but when it is endless truth, that truth is never antiquated, and God will require it from you as far as he is revealed in the word of God. There is truth that's endless. There is truth in the word of God that will never become old-fashioned. Never. None of it is old-fashioned. It's just like saying air is old-fashioned. You know, ever since God created Adam and Eve and mankind, there's been air. So, we see that the gospel is the theme. Now, look with me to Romans chapter 3. If you understand the gospel right, at this point, you should start feeling a little scared. If you don't know Christ is your Savior, if you're not saved, and the God is really working on your heart, there should be a bit of fear here because we're, you're in a no-win situation. That's what the Bible has described you so far as being, and that's all of us. You don't have to be a criminal. You don't have to be Ted Bundy. All you have to do is ignore God, and that's sin. And we saw what the punishment of that sin was. But here comes the gospel. Here's why the, the gospel of God is such a breakthrough and is such praiseworthy of him. Romans chapter 3, verse 22. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. What this says here is that Jesus has paid for your sins to those who believe. There are some things that you need, we need to come to terms with before this verse means anything to you. That you've sinned against God. That's the first thing. That you, that you are the person of Romans chapter 1. That you have been professing yourself wise, but you've become a fool denying what it's very obvious, that you've suppressed the knowledge of God, that you've reinvented who God is, so that way you could come to terms and cope with who you are and God. But we see that that's sin. Verse 23, you need to understand all of sin. It's not that I'm better, and it's not that you're worse. All have sinned, but you have to come to the point where you see that from yourself. You have to see you've fallen short of the standard of God and his righteousness. You will not enter into heaven without his standard. And his standard has been provided. That's what righteousness means, is God's standard. I cannot meet God's standard of myself. I cannot. You cannot. 
So what did God do? <laughs> he has offered and he has brought from since the world began all the way to now. Verse 25, verse 24, being justified freely. That word freely means without a cause. He has justified us. He, he says you're forgiven today of all your sins, of all your transgressions, of all your sin against God. You do not have to pay for your sins if you believe that Jesus did. Otherwise, you will have to pay. You will perish. Um, verse 25, God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Oh, that's the need of the gospel. God's righteousness is charged to those who believe. In Romans 3.22, it's without works. It is justification, the benefits of justification. And I know I probably have, have dug myself too big of a hole here because you know how much I love Romans. And I can keep going and going. But the summary in Romans chapter 16, come back to Romans chapter 16 with me. Verse 25, now to him that is of power to establish you. It's God's gospel. It is by God's power. It's by God's strength. He has saved you. He's going to preserve you and you are going to persevere. And the preaching uh, according to my gospel, here's all the proof that Paul has is in God's gospel, the orchestration of all his uh, salvation and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. Ever since the God's gospel has always been the God's gospel from the Old Testament. We know that the things concealed in the Old Testament are revealed in the New Testament, that we use the New Testament to interpret the Old. Now that we have understanding, now that we have light in the New Testament, we can understand the things of the Old Testament. We see the prophecies uh, concerning Christ thousands of years before he was to come. But verse 26, but now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. You do not have to be a particular nationality for salvation. It's to all nations. There is no difference. All men everywhere are commanded to repent today. Repent and believe the gospel that God has given. It's his authorship. And that's what he says in verse 27. To him be glory. To God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ. That can actually in the Greek and the grammar that can be better read as may there be glory forever to the only wise God through Jesus Christ. Amen. It is fitting that God receives all the honor, all the thanks, and all the praise. The central theme of Romans is that God has arranged history that all things, in all things, he will receive thanks, he will receive glory, he will receive honor forever and ever. That's what it says, verse 26. He's our everlasting God. He will receive praise forever and ever. And it is now God's will 
in his command that every single person who has heard the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that today you must see yourself as fallen short of the glory of God. You must see yourself in the place of in danger of being punished, of in danger of perishing, because you are competing your values with the values that God has provided in Christ. You do not want to get into the position. If if you are good enough to go to heaven, then Jesus would not have died. There's no reason for Jesus. There's not an elite group out there. There's no reason for him. So he died for you. You must see that he died for you, that I've fallen short of the glory of God. I don't make God happy in myself. I don't make my creator happy. Every single person who hears the gospel, hears the proclamation, is or is commanded by God to believe and be saved today. Jesus himself said it in Mark chapter 1. He says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom, of, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye now and believe the gospel. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That was the verse that I read where the Lord saved me. He came to my heart and he put the fear of God in me because I thought I was just fine and dandy. I was a preacher's kid. I went to Sunday school. I won at any kind of trivia. I knew the Bible up and down, back and forth. I knew it all. I wasn't saved because the fear of God wasn't in my heart. God had to put that fear in me. But then I realized, this is new. I could have quoted that, vo that verse up and down. But one day, mom was having devotions. And she said, Philip, I want you to start reading. And I read that verse, and God struck a fear in me like I've never had before or since, that I was going to die and go to hell, that I was going to perish. But he so loved me. And I, I remember reading that. That seems too simple, Mom, that all I have to do is believe. All I have to do is believe that Jesus died for me in my place. And I won't perish. I'm forgiven. My sins have all been forgiven. But the difference is, I was at a place of acknowledgement of that. That's the difference. A lot of churches this morning are doing easy believism. Hey, you, anybody want to be saved? Raise your hand. Repeat after me. All right, you're saved. Let's get you baptized. And, and then you never see him again. Because... They did not experience God in their hearts. There's nothing that sustains him there, that anchors him down and keeps him there. It's all in your head. It's all a, a false profession. But when God works his work, the simplest things that you thought you knew, God makes it a life or death situation, not some trivial thing. You know what? I'll just, I know I need to be saved. One day I'll be saved. It's not a trivial thing. It's a vital. I told Jason the other day, think about who you are. That's your soul. Think about who, what you think about. Think about the essence of your being. Not, not your career. 
not what you love, not music, not anything else, nothing else of this world. Think about who you are, your soul. The Bible teaches us is that you will never lose consciousness. You do not just go out of existence. Your soul will live on forever and ever and ever. It will be in a different body equipped for whatever state you are in after you die here. That's not me just saying, hey, guess what I think? That's what the Bible says. That's what the Word of God says. And I was telling Jason, is there really anything more valuable than that in life? Your own soul? Who you are? And you stop and you think about this, and it'll make you want to pinch your arm. It does me too. Why, of all the people of, that have been born and have died, of all the time span, here I am. Here you are. Is that by accident? Think about who you are. There is nobody but you. You are the only you. You are the only you. You are the only one who will ever be you. You're the only soul. That's you. Now, where's your soul going to be when it dies? The Word of God tells us how we can know. The glory of our life's events. You know what? There's beauty. Uh, I was just thinking. I had this. Uh, April and I went to Marianna and Alex's place yesterday, and it reminded me so much of our little one-bedroom uh, apartment when we were first married and how we didn't have a lot of things, and everything was so simple. It was simple. We had nothing but life to look forward to. I mean, it's just, it, we had things, we had graduation to look forward to, we had children to look forward to, we had grandchildren to look forward to, we had our careers to look forward to. But as you get older, you realize, hey, you know what? I've got more pictures in my picture book than I know what to do with. The, the older you get, the more memories you have. The less ambition you have and the more memories you have. And as we were walking through there, I know I remember. I remember when everything was just future. Everything was future. But I'm here to tell you, and many are here to, to tell you, it goes by fast. One day you'll be looking back and you'll see that all the glory of that is gone. All of the hype and the hope and the excitement is gone. And what are you left with? Same thing with the glory of God. One of these days, our glory is gone. Your career is gone. Everything is gone. But only the glory of God will last. That's it. That's the only thing that will go on and on and on. What a great Savior. What a merciful Savior. If you do not know the Lord as your personal Savior, today is the day of salvation. I pray that you do. I pray that you obey the command of God that today is the day that you repent of your sins, that you come before him in all humility. You turn to him in faith, believing that Jesus died for your sins and that you trust that he will save you and that that fear that God will be working in your heart will turn to peace. Oh, I remember those tears turned to tears of peace just like that. I mean, it was amazing. And many of you have the same 
I hope you have the same experience. One second, you can feel the, the flames of hell licking your feet, and then the next second, you are in the bosom of the hand of God, where nothing will be able to separate you from the love of God. Oh, how beautiful. I pray the Lord just bless you and have his way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for the day. Thank you, Father, for your word. Lord, we pray your power upon it. May it just lodge itself in the hearts and the minds. Father, may you call your sheep to yourself, and we'll give you all the praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask that we all stand, please, and I'm going to ask Brother Richard if you'll come.